Thanks, Pastor Bill. Man, it is good to be back. Uh, I got to tell you, just coming in here and seeing so many of you that I haven't seen in such a long time, uh, when we were praying together, one of the things that I prayed was just, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be in the presence of my brothers and sisters again, uh, people that I love and that I know that God loves. And so it is a joy to be with you guys. Uh, I, you know, I, I've, I've hugged on some of you already. If I haven't given you a hug, come give me a hug. I'll make sure and get you one of those. I hugged on Pastor Dexley as he came in through the door, and, and I asked him one question. I said, uh, Pastor, are you getting any sleep? And he said, no, nothing. <laughs> I said, welcome to the club, <laughs> you know, until you have that first kid, you don't know, but then you know, uh, God just gives you those ex that extra reservoir of energy that you didn't know you had, um, and so praise God that he's adding to your church, it's so good to see some of you who are new here, um, you know, I had the pleasure of being able to pastor here and, uh, and serve with so many people here uh, for several years, and um, and then got the joy of being able to pass the baton over to Pastor Dexley and everybody else here uh, to continue on the work uh, of God here in, in Providence. And so uh, my family and I moved up to Boston about a year ago. Uh, and uh, so we live in a neighborhood called West Roxbury and found a little neighborhood church right there uh, that we now are members of. And uh, Jenny serves on the greeting team, and I'm in the kids' ministry. And so uh, I make sure those kids get up and dance around, and we get to know about Jesus with a lot of passion. And so uh, it's been just a, a wonderful part, uh, time for us of just being able to sit in the back row with our kids and, uh, and then serve as part of the body. And so um, I am, I'm excited about being back here with you, and I pray this time will be um, beneficial for us as we open up the Word of God. Now, uh, some of you heard that some of what I what I transitioned uh, to up in Boston uh, had to do with a nonprofit, and so that's that's exactly what it is. Uh, I'm working with a nonprofit that's helping churches just like yours reach into the community and uh, and meet needs, uh, so that we can participate in and then watch as God changes lives. And so we work with a lot of different churches uh, up in Boston, and uh, from time to time have connected down here in the Providence area as well. And uh, we do a lot, a, a lot of different, uh, you know, different types of ministry. And so you guys, uh, I think, have met Faith Garland. I think she's been a member here for a little bit. Uh, Faith is on, our, on my team, and, and she runs a lot of the trafficking ministry that we do up there. And we work with refugees. We work with those people who are experiencing homelessness, as well as a lot of other uh, community development type work. And so it's been really rewarding. Um, but I'll tell you, I've missed this. I've missed being able to preach. I've missed being able to be um, kind of in a pastoral role. And so this is a joy for me to be here this morning and to do this. Now, I know Pastor Bill prayed already, but I'm going to say one more word of prayer as we approach God's word. Is that all right with you guys? Yes. All right. Father, you are so good. You are so kind. God, we don't, we don't deserve a relationship with you. And so, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you, God, that you have looked upon us, that you smile upon us, God, that you delight in us. We don't deserve it. And God, we thank you that you incline your ear to us, that you care for us, that you want to hear us when we speak. Lord, I pray uh, today that as we approach your word and you speak, I pray, God, that we would listen to. Just like you listen to us, God, would we listen to you. And so, God, we pray uh, right now, Lord, that as we approach the book of Joshua, Lord, that... Um, our hearts would be soft, that our ears would be opened, and that we'd be ready to take what you have for us. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, you guys are in the middle of a sermon series uh, in the book of Joshua, and, uh, and Pastor Dexley reached out to me and asked me if I could come preach, and one of the things he said is, would you mind uh, preaching on the whole chapter, chapter 8? I said, absolutely, I would love to, let's do it. And so we're going to jump into the whole chapter today, chapter 8 in the book of Joshua. If you guys got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and angle your head in just the right way so you can be comfortable and look at the screen because we are going to bite off a big, hearty-sized chunk of God's Word today, and it's going to be wonderful. Now, as you're turning there, uh, let me just catch you up. If you have not uh, been with us uh, or with the church uh, during this sermon series, or maybe you've forgotten a little bit, what's been going on in the book of Joshua? Well, you remember uh, before the book of Joshua, God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and, and God delivered them through the leadership of Moses, right? And, and then Moses led them through the wilderness. Uh, but he died right before he was able to enter into the promised land that God had for them, right? And, uh, and so he, he got to see it, but he didn't get to enter in. And, and it was Joshua, his successor, who was charged with leading God's people into the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And he was tasked with settling them in to their new home. Now, throughout God's law, we saw that there was one main thing that just kept coming up and it, as it had to do with all of his commandments. And it was this, that if the people of God would keep the law of God, then they would be blessed. And they would be a blessing to all the nations as a result. But if they didn't, they would experience devastation or they would experience what was, what's called in Scripture curses. Obey and you'll be blessed. Don't, and you're going to see devastation. And so this was clear, and it was written throughout the law, and it was written throughout the covenants, and, and we saw that Joshua knew this, and this is what he told the people. And then he took the people, and he started to advance them into the land of Canaan, right? And as they advanced into the land of Canaan, they started to meet these hostiles, right? These people groups that didn't like them, and these people groups that were practicing things that were completely ungodly. These people groups that were occupying the land and standing against the nation of Israel. And in the previous chapters, we saw that when God's people followed God's instructions and, and followed it to the T, they saw success, right, with Jericho. They did that crazy thing where they walked around and around and around the city. And they obeyed God, and they found victory. They found success, right? They followed his instructions to the T. But then they didn't obey, and there was devastation that came in the next battle, right? There was the sin of Achan, and, and Achan, you remember, he kept back some of those, uh, those devoted things, those things that God said, don't touch, and he buried them under his tent. And so because of his sin, the next time they went into battle, there was destruction, and they lost. And, and Joshua's like, what the heck, man? What the heck, God? Like, what's going on? We're supposed to be victorious. And they find out. And then they got a deal where they can sin, right? And I believe Evan preached on this a couple weeks ago, that just as the people of God in, in those times had to deal with Achan's sin, that we too, when it comes to the church, us as the people of God now, need to deal with sin when it's in our midst. Not in the same way, but with the same seriousness, right? And so all of that leads us to our passage today, where Israel has seen that God means what he says, right? And now in chapter 8, he gives them another chance as they go into a battle again with the people of Ai. Let's see what the Lord has for us today as we approach his word. Joshua chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. 
Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as a plunder for yourself, yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and, and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as, you, as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai, with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men, and he set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces. The main encampment that was north of the city, uh, they, so they stationed the forces. The main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his, all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went, up to, uh, went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in its battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all, the, and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to the heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the middle of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, but the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the, to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and, and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand 
with which he stretched out the javelin until he, until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of, the, of that city, Israel took as plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered, it, uh, offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word, uh, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is a pretty intense story. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. And some of you who just heard me read this story are probably pretty troubled at what you just heard. How could the God that I know approve of or even advocate for this type of destruction? The God I know is a loving friend. He's a merciful king. He's a compassionate shepherd. How could this be the same God? You know, a lot of people that... Uh, a lot of people struggle with that idea, and, and they look at stories like this, and they use it as a means of claiming that Christians actually do one of two things. They either worship two gods, right, the God of the Old Testament and then the God of the New Testament, or they think, you know what, God just changed. He, he got a lot more sensitive in his older age. But you know what, the Bible refutes both of those claims and says, that the, and says in, the, in the narrative of Scripture that there's only one God, and that he's unchanging that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's cool, John. Then what do we do with this story? What do I do with this story? How do I understand this story? Well, it's important for you and for me to recognize that what's happening here in the land of Canaan to people groups like Ai and to Jericho, this is not in opposition to God's character. This is not in opposition to God's character. You see, there's a couple things happening here, and the first thing is, this is a story about God's justice. This is a story about God's justice, which is a central aspect to who he is. Okay, prove it, John. Let me see. I'll look at Leviticus chapter 18, and let's look at verses 1 to 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. 
You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk, walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Now, what was it that the Canaanites were doing that God was so upset with? Well, if you were to continue to read the rest of chapter 18, you would see exactly what these people groups were doing that was so detestable to God. If you look at verses 6 through 23, you would see that they were being completely sexual, sexually immoral. They were forcing themselves on their, their neighbors' wives, and they were having incestuous relationships with their family members, including their own parents. They were even engaging in bestiality, which is intercourse with animals. But not just were they sexually immoral to a degree that, is, that, that almost seems unheard of, but verse 21 in Leviticus chapter 18 says that the Canaanites would actually murder their own children and then sacrifice them to their demonic god, a king named Molech. And so God is so angered by the practice of child sacrifice that the Canaanites were doing that in fact in Deuteronomy chapter 12 he repeats his, his frustration and the sin that the Canaanites are doing. You see, what's happening right now is this is a specific time in the story of God where he is establishing his people in the land that's going to be their home. And he was laying the foundation for how they were meant to live, to be a light to the world and a reflection of God's own heart and his own character. But in the land, you had these, these people groups that were polluting the very same space and doing terrible things to innocent children that were made in the image of God and terrible things to vulnerable community members. And God determined in his justice that now was the time to deal with these evildoers. You see, church, we need to remember, and Galatians chapter 6 tells us this, that we should not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, who, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And so these people in their evil lives were mocking God. And this story is not a one-off story about when God got mad and went crazy. This is God executing justice in regards to a terrible atrocity that had been happening amongst these people groups. Consider the Nazis who were dragging entire families off to the, ga the, the gas chamber. Or when ISIS leaders were kidnapping women and young, ch and young girls and forcing them into lives of sexual exploitation. Or when human beings were being stolen from the continent of Africa and put on ships and sometimes murdered along the way and then sold into lives of abuse in the Americas. Or you name another time when people groups have d gotten together and done terrible things like this, their actions and those people must be held accountable for what they've done. That is called justice. That's called justice. What this story is showing us to begin with is God's justice at work. And it's setting up the nation of Israel so that as they subsequently live in accordance with God's design, that they might be a testimony to the world of who he is and the flourishing that he offers when humanity lives in right relationship to him and their neighbors. Now, 
Does this mean that you and me should go around, gather up some good church folk, Pastor Bill, Pastor Dexley, Pastor John, Johnny, we're all going to go get together, Enoch, we're going to get together, and then we are going to go out and we're going to bring justice to all the bad, evil people in our neighborhood and in our city and in our nation, in this world. Is that what we're meant to do? Is that what this is saying? Does that give us license to do what Samuel L. Jackson does in that movie? You know the movie I'm talking about. You know where Samuel Jackson in that movie, he was a hitman, and he used to like to quote scripture before he would do his execution, right? He would quote scripture and, and he would say, I, you know, I got this passage of scripture from Ezekiel that I've memorized. And then he quotes it. He says, I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. You know the movie. I'm not going to tell you. So is this saying that all of us need to become a bunch of Sam Jacksons and go out there and start killing people and quoting scripture? Is that what it's saying? No. Notice what that passage in Ezekiel even is, is telling you and me. It's God speaking, right? God's the one who handles vengeance against evil, not us. And also recognize the new covenant. You and I belong to the new covenant. We are God's people who are now asked to behave in the following way. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own thought. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, God has not changed. He never will. And he will deal with evil in his own ways and in his own timing. But as for you and for me, as the people of God, no longer under the Mosaic law, but now under the covenant of grace, God has a new commandment for his people. It is not to attack like in the days of Joshua, but it's to love like Jesus. Amen? It's not to attack like the days of Joshua, but it's to love like Jesus. Now, this passage I told you is about a couple things. Firstly, it's about God's justice, but it's also a story about obedience. This is a story about obedience. Our text tells us that God told Joshua, look at verse 1, take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. What did Joshua do? So Joshua and all the fighting men arose and went up to Ai, verse 3a. Our text tells us that God told Joshua, lay an ambush against the city behind it, verse 2. What did Joshua do? Verse 3b through 4a, so Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night, and he commanded them, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Now after Joshua and the people laid a trap and then pretended to be beaten, running away and having the men of Ai chase them down, God said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Verse 18a, what did Joshua do? Verse 18b, and Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city. 
The text also tells us that God had specific instructions on what they could keep as plunder and what was not acceptable for them to take for themselves. This is a repeat, right, of the last time around. Verse 2b, only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Instead of what happened with Achan, what did Joshua and the people do? Look at verse 27, only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. They also burned down the city, just like God commanded. The people of God committed themselves to obey. And as a result, they experienced victory. The people of God committed themselves to obey. And as a result, they experienced victory. Amen? And the same is true for you and for me today. That when we obey God, we too will experience victory, especially over sin. Now, obedience is a tricky thing, at least for me it is, right? Not too many years ago, I remember I started seeing this clothing line start to pop up in different places, and it had one word written across it, obey. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I saw that, I went, (laughs) I don't know what this designer is thinking. I I don't like that at all. No one tells me what to do. You know why, Pastor Bill? Because I love me some me. I love me some me. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me how it goes, right? I was struck by the message. I was struck by my, my reaction to it. And so I decided to look up its origin. And you know what? It's a good Rhode Islander who came up with this. This is actually was created at Rhode Island School of Design by Shepard Ferry in 1989, and it was a sticker. And it was meant to operate as reverse psychology on its viewer, making them want to resist authority and question the messages and their own purposes. Well, Mr. Ferry, mission accomplished. <laughs> I had the same desired response that he was going for within me. I did not want to obey. No one's going to tell me to obey. In church, because of original sin, I think we're like that with God. I think we like to figure out our own path. We don't want to follow. We prefer to lead. I think we like to be independent and decide for ourselves. We don't like to be told what to do or how to act. And yet when God calls us to obey, it may not be what we want, but it's always what we need and it's always what is best. And the truth is that when you and I struggle with obeying God completely, actually at its core, do you know what it is? It's a matter of worship. It's a matter of worship. You see, obedience requires that we first surrender our own will to follow his will. And that's what worship is. Worship is not just singing songs and feeling good and having these great vibes while we do it. It is a heart posture. It is an attitude of less of me and more of you, God. Will you surrender and be obedient to God in his desire for you? What is God asking you to obey in today? All of us have those things that we know that God is calling you to say yes to, and you just, uh, I don't know. Let me get some more information. Let me take some more time. Let me pray about it. You pray to the guy asking you to do something, right? (laughs) But obedience isn't just about worship. Guess what it's also about? It's about love. It's about love. Look at what Jesus told his disciples. John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. You see, we don't want to get it twisted, right? We want to make sure that we hear what Tim Keller famously says. We do not obey so that we will be loved. It's because we are deeply loved that we gladly obey. Amen? 
And so when we obey, we are just telling God, I love you too. I can't love you as good as you love me, but I'm happy to do what you say because I care about you too. Amen? And when we obey, we always see that, the ultimate, that ultimately what happens is victory. When we obey, what we ultimately see that happens is victory, just like in the days of Joshua. You see, the idols of our lives don't win out when we obey. The temptations of our lives don't wear the crown when we obey. The, strug- the sin struggles no longer have power when we obey. When we obey God and his commandments and his word and his calling in our lives, victory, church, is certain. Amen? How is God calling you to obey in your life? And how is he calling you to obey in your life where deep in the caverns of your heart, you're still kind of saying no? How do you need to deal with that today? Are you resisting or are you obeying? Now, as we consider that God is a God of justice, and, and as we consider that he's the one who calls us to obedience, I believe that there's great power in turning our eyes towards the gospel. And so, you see, because God is a God of justice who hates sin, he has to deal with our sin, right? He had to deal with my sin and your sin, right? Because he's a God of justice, right? And yet, because we belong to him and we are his people, his chosen sons and daughters, the way that he brings about justice towards our sin is absolutely amazing. And I think the story here in Joshua actually points to it. Now, the king of Ai in this story, he was and is the picture of human sin. He's the the picture of corporate human sin. And as such, God defeated and cursed him in an act of justice, right? And our text tells us that he was hung up on a tree, verse 29a, and that he was buried under rocks, verse 29b. Now, this was an ancient Near Eastern method. And what Deuteronomy chapter 21 teaches, where hanging someone on a tree was meant to, to communicate that this person was cursed by God. And symbolically, piling stones over them was meant to show that their soul could not reach heaven. So this was an ancient practice. Now watch this, church. Because of our affiliation with sin, this is what we all deserve. As well as, the, as well and, and justice demands, right, that we should be held accountable for this. What the king of Ai got is what you and me deserve, right? But look at what Jesus did. Jesus died on a tree in our place to pay the price for our sin. And so he took the curse for us that we deserved. Now wait a second, you said tree. But I thought Jesus was killed on a cross. But all the leaders of the early church, they actually interpreted that being hung on a cross was actually symbolically the same as being hung on a tree. Look at, uh, look at some scripture to back that up. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. This is what Paul said. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And look at what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Look at what Peter also said in Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And so Jesus took the curse that we deserved for our sin And he was killed, and he was hung on a tree, on a cross. And additionally, 
Jesus was also buried in a tomb, right? He was buried in, in what was carved out of a massive pile of rocks. And so he took the condemnation that we deserved and he bore it as well. Look at what Matthew chapter 27, verse 59 to 60 says. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen and a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. All of this Jesus did for us, that he might pay the price that we deserved, just like the king of Ai deserved. And yet, instead of being destroyed because of the grace of God that is ours through the gift of faith, we are now free from the penalty of sin. But Jesus didn't just die the death of a criminal in a substitutionary way for us, right? He rose again, and he conquered death altogether. You see, the tree couldn't destroy him. The pile of rocks couldn't condemn him. Jesus, which is in fact uh, a version of the Hebrew name for Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. That same Jesus, the Son of God, he lives eternally. And he always has, and he always will. And as such, he invites you to follow him into a forever life in his presence. And it's because of Jesus that we're free from the consequence of death too. The gospel shows us the justice of God at work through Christ's sacrifice. And the beauty of the gospel also shows us the victory that comes from obedience as well, right? You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus set the example for us, right? Sin and all, and all of its weight, Jesus faced, right? And we know how hard it was for him when he was faced with all that sin. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus pray to the Father? Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Despite how hard it would be, Jesus was obedient. And look at how the Apostle Paul explained it. In Philippians chapter 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus obeyed, and on the other side of that difficulty, what awaited him? Victory! Victory! And you now get to share in that victory! And in his glory. Amen? Look at how the author of Hebrews says it. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is seated in victory. And because of his obedience, we too get to share in that victory. So as we consider all these things today, Here's my question for you. Will you thank God for the generous justice of Christ and how he set you free? And out of the overflow of that gratitude, will you commit to obey, just like Jesus, that you too might see victory over sin? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your text, even the hard ones. <laughs> the point to Jesus God, we're so grateful 
for how you love us, how you care for us. We're so grateful, God, that you are just and you dealt with the evil sin that we have put on, that comes through our original desires. We thank you for that. We thank you, God, that because of Jesus, we don't have to pay that penalty, but we just get to live in the shower of grace. And so, God, I pray today that every time we stop and consider your commandments, your, your design, your, your word for us, that, God, obedience would not be a chore, but, God, we would be so grateful and so excited to say yes. And even when the obedience is hard, God, I pray that just like Jesus, we would say, not my will, your will, and we would move forward, and, God, we would see the success of victory. Lord, some of us today are battling with things. We know that you never stop speaking, and so we know that you're calling us to obedience even in those difficult things, even in those relationships that are in a trial, even in that workplace situation that just feels awful, even in, in the pain of of what we might be experiencing physically and, and how that affects our attitudes and, and, and makes us complain or whatever it might be, God. Even in all those things, we thank you, God, that when you call us to obey, even if it's hard, Lord, it's going to lead us on the path of victory. So we pray, God, that today we would say yes and we would move forward and trust that you will help us to flourish. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as you're able and we're going to respond to the Lord.